Welcome to the podcast of Rogue Valley Christian Church. We hope to be a place that connects you to Jesus, encourages you to grow in your faith, and challenges you to serve the world. Well, uh, since you may be seated, uh, since you have spontaneously decided to go ahead and start clapping, let's go ahead and uh, let's. Uh, I mean, if the reggae comes on, I'm going to start moving these hips, just so you know. But we're in church, so they won't be crazy, but they'll just be subtle. Are we okay with that? It'll be, it'll be Christian, no worries. Hey, uh, number one, I just want to say, one of my, can I, just, can I just riff for a minute? One of my favorite things is to watch people say yes to God. Are you with me on this? Just whenever God like knocks on the door, or whenever he opens a door or presents an opportunity, it is always inspiring to watch people just say, sure, does that make sense? And with that in mind, I just want to thank Ben and Bob and Emma for this week saying, sure, we'll lead worship today. Does that make sense? Um, I would caution, though, if you're thinking about uh, getting baptized you should know you might be leading worship the next week, just <laughs> so everybody knows that might happen. Uh, but it's just a super sweet thing to see how the Lord is raising people up within the body and setting them free in their giftings and uh, blessing all of us because of it. So guys, thank you so much for being here this morning. And it's connected even more. Their being here is allowing for Nate and his family to get away on a much needed uh, and much deserved little weekend away. So that's a cool thing. They'll be back next week. In the meantime, this coming week, there's a couple of announcements, and then we'll get into the word. Uh, We will be in John chapter 7. Larry mentioned there's like 50-some verses. Don't worry, we're only covering 36. Yeah. So if you want to turn to John chapter 7, let me give you a couple of announcements. Number one, Small groups started up this last week. We have more people interested in the small groups. If you're still wondering about getting plugged into one, all you have to do is see Rachel. She's back at the computer. Um, So as soon as the service is over, just bum rush that corner, and you can can just see her, and she can get you plugged into a small group. We're studying and looking at an overview of the book of Judges uh, this small group season, and some people might think, why would we do that? It's depressing. It is. It's a dark period in Israel's history. In fact, it's characterized by this idea that in those days, everybody did what was right in their own sight. And yet God was still working. And so it's important for us to see those lessons that God transcends even humanity's worst horrors. Is that good? And so in your small groups as you're going through that, just lean into that. If you want more info, just see Rachel. This Wednesday morning at 9.30, we do have a mom's group that's meeting. Fantastic little time of fellowship and hanging out. And so, uh, like I've said before, I don't know what they do in that nursery when they're hanging out, but I know the treats on the outside are really, really good. So if you want to join that, you can. And then the last thing I wanted to draw attention to was yesterday, there's about 40 ladies from the church that got together for a women's retreat day. Yeah, okay, okay. We got one woo. I heard it was worth two or three, but that's fine. Um, Actually, the word on the street is it went wonderful. We want to make sure that in our prayers we thank Rogue Valley Fellowship for their gracious 
uh, kindness to us. They let us use their annex so that we could kind of, not we, I, I wasn't there, just in case, but so that the ladies could kind of get away and have a special time and space. And it was really fantastic. And we're trusting that the Lord's going to use that in a good way. Amen? Amen. So, John chapter 7. We're making our way through the story of Jesus as we find it told in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mentioned last week that quite often the Gospel writers were more concerned about themes than they were uh, chronology or chronological order. And so you're going to jump around all of the time as we put this thing together in the best possible you know, idea of how the order of events took place. It's worth knowing this, that for the last month or so, we've made a big deal about Jesus has resolutely turned his face towards Jerusalem. And I just want to let you know, as we come across John chapter 7, because he's going to go to Jerusalem, but he's not going to die for the sins of the world yet. That's probably not going to happen for a year, year and a half from now. I don't know if that's going to be real time here. And if it does, if it is real time here, we're going to co- co- we'll, we'll be coordinated with his Passion Week right around Easter. That's probably a good idea. We know what we're doing because we're real good at this. I don't know why you're laughing, John. However, just know this. Thematically, the gospel writers have wanted us to get that very early on in his ministry, he was sure about his purpose. He was absolutely resolute about going to the cross. Now, in his daily life, like many Israelites in that day, he would go back and forth from Jerusalem a number of times, at least three times a year. In John chapter 7, how many of your Bibles have a little heading over it that says Jesus at the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles? It's worth noting, just so you're aware, that the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles was one of Israel's great pilgrim feasts. So way back in the Mosaic Covenant, Israel was given instructions by God, who gave them to Moses, who gave them to the people, that on a regular basis, no matter where they were in the world, they were invited by God Almighty to come and spend time with him in Jerusalem, at first at the tabernacle, and then later at the temple. And so, at least three times a year, every Jewish man and their families, if they could afford it, would all make a pilgrimage from wherever they were at in the world to Jerusalem to celebrate the reality of God. And so when we come across the Feast of Booths, know this. When they were there, this festival was to celebrate, to remember, to recognize God's faithfulness towards Israel as they were wandering in the wilderness thousands of years earlier. Remember that? Remember God had delivered his people out of Egypt, and then he led them around in the wilderness, providing for them, taking care of them, protecting them. So every year now, the people of God would go to Jerusalem and celebrate for a week, well, seven to eight days. It depends on how you do the math, but it was, a, it was eight days. And this is one of the things that I love about Jewish culture. When they celebrate, they celebrate. Birthdays, week-long celebration. Wedding, seven or eight days. Feast, seven or eight days. We should go Old Testament in our lives, yeah. Yeah. And if you're on the verge of a birthday, all you got to do is text your family and say, I expect seven or eight days. Okay? Mine's in August, just so you know. 
So they would go to Jerusalem for this festival where they're recognizing, celebrating, remembering God's faithfulness to the people of the past. And at the same time, this will come into play in a couple of weeks, but at the same time, they were looking forward to praying and asking God to continue taking care of them in the future, even to the point of begging him for early rains that their crops might take deep root and produce good, good, good early fruit. This was all part of their life. And remember, from their perspective, I don't know about you, I do not remember the last time I ever prayed and asked God to make sure Walmart was open so I could go in and get my errands done. Does that make sense? I don't do that. It's just, I go on the internet, they're open, let's go. Let's go. We need some antifreeze. We need some bread. We need some mayonnaise, chipotle mayonnaise. We need all of that stuff, right? Miracle Whip. Miracle Whip people? Right? There are two kinds of people in this world. Those who like Miracle Whip and those who are wrong. (laughs) Their culture was such that they were completely and totally dependent upon God agriculturally. I don't know if you know this, but the Middle East can be dry and arid. <laughs> David refers to it as a dry and weary land. They were desperate for God's provision. Keep this in mind, because in a couple of weeks, there's this amazing moment at the end of the feast, that some of those verses that Larry thought we were going to look at, but we're not until a couple of weeks from now. There's an amazing moment that happens around there. But this is the backdrop of John chapter 7, a time where God's people were celebrating his faithfulness. And they were doing so, I suggest, in the midst of much confusion about what God was doing. Much confusion. Much of their confusion was because their religious leaders had already made up their minds that Jesus was not their Messiah. And so, because of that refusal to believe, the rejection of the one that we know God had provided... Their minds were already made up. Therefore, their ability to see and understand was clouded, and therefore, they were confused about everything that's going on. I do believe this. Even their confusions then, even if they're different from the ones that we have now, are a fantastic reminder for us in this day about God's goodness and faithfulness. I love the fact, I I, I didn't connect it, but Emma Lettuce in that song, You Are Good, Good, Oh, 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 Yes? That's how you do it if you're a hip-hop artist, (laughs) which is secretly what I want to do with my life, but it's not working out, so this is where we're at. (laughs) But the goodness of God, even in the midst of these confusions, are good for us to remember. Alistair Begg, he's been teaching. He's from the United Kingdom. His name's Alistair Begg. If you ever get a chance to listen to Alistair Begg, Truth for Living Radio, I highly recommend tuning in. Number one, because he has a thick accent and it's just interesting to listen to. Number two, theologically, he's sound and he's solid. Alistair Begg said this, the gospel tells us that the deadness of our hearts and our hatred of God may be overcome by his goodness. Let me restate that. The gospel tells us that the deadness of our hearts and our hatred of God may be overcome by his goodness. It is the goodness of God that we need to keep in mind as we make our way through some of these passages in John chapter 7 because the people of God are confused 
And they're confused because they've already decided to reject him, and yet he's right there with them. Look at John chapter 7, verse 1. It says this, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. Now, again, remember, the Gospels, they're just kind of giving you this big picture story. So Jesus ministering in and around Galilee, and he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. We've made that point. They've already decided to get rid of him. Now, the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, or the Feast of Tabernacles. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Now that's an interesting thing. People who don't even, his brothers, his own flesh and kind of blood. (laughs) Do you see that? Halfway. They don't believe in him, but they're sure enough going to tell him what they think he should do. Does that make sense? That's an interesting thing. Just a side note. I think we're really good at telling people what we think they should do. And we need to be a little bit better at understanding what God has planned for them. Going ahead and submitting our opinions about what we think people should do to the reality of what God is actually working out in their lives and wants them to do. Because as we see in this passage, God had a plan and he was working it out. Jesus said, verse 6, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here, right? Your purpose and plans are being worked out each and every day. You're just doing your, your normal everyday life as a good Jewish man. But my time and what God has me doing hasn't come yet. He goes on. He said, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. So Jesus' brothers, they come to him and they're like, hey, you need to go do this. And Jesus is like, you want to tell me what to do? Let me tell you a couple of things. And he goes ahead and he starts to give them insight into what's going on. He says in verse 8, you go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. But look at verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. And the Jews were looking for him at the feast, saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him. By the way, you might want to underline muttering, because that's just a good word that we don't use much anymore. There was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. So in these first 13 verses of the chapter, and now you can see how we're going to make it because we're going to read big chunks, right? In these first 13 verses, there's confusion. They're confused. His brothers, representing Israel itself, they're confused about God's purposes and plans for Jesus, You see, when they say, I don't know about you, but have you ever read this? And like, okay, his brothers say, why don't you go up to the feast? And he says, I'm not going to the feast. It's not my time. And then the brothers go up to the feast. And in the very next verse, Jesus goes to the feast. Have you ever been confused by that? It's confusing. Sometimes the Bible's really confusing. Ladies and gentlemen, take a deep breath and give yourself permission to be confused. Amen? Amen? Amen. Like, we don't have to know every single little thing all the time. In fact, it's impossible for us. And if we as a church in the last 150 years of church have made you feel like you have to be an expert in all things in order to be acceptable to God, we are absolutely sorry. Because all you have to do to be acceptable to God is say, you know what, Lord, I believe in your son. I don't understand it all. I don't even get everything. 
but I believe what he's done for me. Amen? Like, that's what we have to do. It's okay to be confused. But here's some clarity for you. When his brother said, why don't you go up to the feast? They were specifically referring to his claims. They had heard that he had said that he was the son of God. They had heard him refer to himself as the son of man. They had heard word on the street that this guy was doing all kinds of things. And so they, even though they didn't believe in him, said, well, if you are who you are, then go do it then. Go to Jerusalem and take over. Even though they were confused about what that meant, they still thought if that's the case, then our brother's going to, they actually didn't believe in him. So what they're inviting Jesus to do is to go and die. Because they were still thinking that the Messiah was going to come and take over militarily. But they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, which they wouldn't until after the resurrection. And so they tell him, well, then you just go and do it then. If you, if you think you're all that, go get it done. And Jesus says to him, no, it's not my time to go to Jerusalem and publicly present myself. Not as a military leader, but as a suffering servant. Now, see, we all know this, right? Because we read this stuff on a regular basis. But this is part of their confusion. They were confused about God's purposes and plans for Jesus. Once again, we just see the people around at that time thinking one way, all the while God's doing another thing. See, it's important for us to recognize that his ways are worth our consideration. His ways are not our ways, the Bible says, but they're definitely worth our consideration. We should think about this a lot and recognize, oh, okay, well, here's why it wasn't his time, and yet he goes up privately. Did you see that word? He goes up there privately, that is to say, he goes up like everybody else goes up to participate in the regular giving thanks to God the Father with his people. He goes to do that, right? His ways are not our ways, but they're definitely worth our consideration. There was an appointed time. The book of Romans tells us at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time. And that time frame isn't contingent on our ability to understand it or not, nor theirs. So there was this confusion about it. But his ways are worth considering even as we see them come out in the word because he still knows perfectly well what he's doing. You see, what these first 13 verses can remind us of is even when we don't understand what's going on or the timing or the nuances of everything that God has got going on in the world, have you looked around and wondered about everything? How many of you in the last couple of years have cried out to God, I just don't get it? How many of you cried out to God, not only do I don't get it, but if it were me, I'd do it this way? You know what I'm saying? And thankfully, that doesn't happen because our ways are not his ways. And he's doing something so much bigger for them. Well, then go over and take go up. If you think you're that, then go take over the Romans. Make our lives better. Remember, Jesus isn't, God isn't so much interested in making our lives better as he is in making us more like him. Can we say Amen. I need you to say amen, even though there's a part of you that's like, ooh, <laughs> I'd prefer better. You know what I'm saying? But that's like way down the priority list if God has such a thing. What he wants to do, what he's most interested in, is making our lives holy, set apart 
for service unto him. And that requires something bigger than just dealing with our discomfort. And so Jesus is working that out. But don't you know, in our days, that can be confusing sometimes as we look around and as we see things, we're like, I just don't get it yet. And yet God is working. He still knows perfectly well what he is doing. The psalmist said in Psalm 24, verses 4 through 10, you can jot it down, just follow along as I read it. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. For they have, seen, they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble in his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Not only are his ways and what he is doing, even especially in times of confusion, worth our consideration, we should walk in them. Because when we walk in them, we receive his love, his faithfulness, and, and, and those things overflow in and through our lives all the more. So I want to encourage you, not only when we get confused about some of the details of the gospel accounts, but even more so when we're confused about maybe what God is doing around us or in us and through us, just keep trusting him. Allow him to bring clarity. We don't always have to get it figured out on our own. Yesterday, I was listening to a podcast. Do you guys do that? I was listening to a podcast, and this podcast that I was listening to had a guest on, and the guest was a world champion puzzler. <laughs> A world champion puzzler riddle guy. And I was like, well, this should be interesting. And he had also wrote a book on the year of living biblically, which was interesting because he took the Old Testament and followed everything to the letter, which taught him lots of things, but decreased his friends really quickly. <laughs> All I would say is go read the Old Testament and imagine doing it word for word, right? But in this puzzling part of the interview, not puzzling, confusing, puzzling, they were talking about riddles. He had thrown out an, a, 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 a riddle, like this plus this, da 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 And I remember initially going, oh, I can get, no, I have no idea. And then there's that anxiety about not being able to get it, right? And your, your head, I'm driving, so I can't stop along the roadside and write stuff down. So I'm just like, and then I, there was a point where I was like, you know what? It's okay for me to be confused. Because, according to the interview, it was very clear that he was going to give the answer. It's okay for me to be confused. Because the one who knows the answer, in his goodness, will provide it. Does that make sense? And so there's an encouragement, even as we see the confusion with his brothers, it's okay. Just hang tight. Don't give up on God. Don't try to push your plans and your will on him. Just hang tight. Be still. Know that I am God, 40, Psalm 46.10, and let him do what he does. How many of you in your walk with God are more clear about the things of God than you've ever been before? Raise your hand. That's okay. And how many of you simultaneously are just as confused as you always were? <laughs> but because of the things that you know, 
the just as confused as you always were, there's a confident gap in the middle of that called faith that you're like, ah, I know how this goes. Well, how's it work out? Not sure. But what are you going to do? Hold on. Why? Because I've seen God do it before, and he'll bring, bring clarity again. Yes and amen. So here's what happens, though. Verse 14, it says this. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. Don't forget, the temple courts, teachers would... Uh, uh, sit in a certain spot. They'd like take up space. Think like growers market, right? Those trucks come and they just set up and all the people move around based on what they want to eat and based on what they want to drink. Well, Jesus, just so you know, just so you know, this come in in two weeks. Here we go. He sets up in the temple and he invites people to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. But there's confusion about it. Look at what happens. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. And the Jews, therefore, marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? This guy knows, like, carpentry. I mean, we've seen the chosen. He builds tall tables. He doesn't know anything about the law. He didn't study in our schools. Look at what happens. So Jesus, verse 16, answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Remember, the religious leaders, though they're marveling, they've already decided he's not the one, so therefore his teaching cannot be from God. And Jesus calls them out. He says, if you were really interested in doing the will of God, you would recognize where my teaching is coming from. Continuing on. Verse 18, then the one, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. And then he goes on, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered, you have a demon. So now it's like they understand what's going on. This is not the first time that Jesus has been accused of being demonized. You have a demon. And then he goes on, and Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you could circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment." He appeals, see, remember, they're still upset and decided that he can't be the one who he claims to be because he's not paying attention to the laws as we dictate that they should be paid attention to. But then he just turns it on them and he says, well, wait a minute, you circumcise a man on the Sabbath day, how if that falls on the seven days later and it falls on the Sabbath, you still do it even though that's work, but you don't think that that's breaking the Sabbath. Then why are you so mad at me if on the Sabbath day I, don't, I not only uh, affect a part of a man's body, but I make his whole body whole? Again, he's referring to his miracles, remember. He goes, what are, you, what are you doing? You've missed the whole heart of it all. See, they were confused concerning God's wisdom and revelation through Jesus. Jesus is showing up, and he's fulfilling the law, not just obeying their letter of the law. Does that make sense? He comes up to fulfill it, and he begins to show them that God is not interested, as interested in a day of rest as he is to giving you a life of rest in him. And this is what he's doing. 
Now, don't get me wrong. Is it important for us as the people of God to take time, maybe even a day, to chill out, unplug, relax? Yeah, absolutely. But let's not make a mistake and think that God is only interested in that on one day. Like he, Jesus himself, is our Sabbath rest. But they were confused about how God was working through this one called Jesus. But for us, we're reminded, even in the midst of their confusion, that his wisdom is worth our apprehension. In other words, it's worth us trying to get it and understand it. Why? Well, because he still knows perfectly well how we should be thinking. Does that make sense? This is a very important point, I think, because at every turn, all around us all the time, we're constantly, constantly being told what to think. Politically, people over here say we should think like this. People over here think, think, say that we should think like this. Socially, people on this group, this chat say that we have to think like this. Other people over here on this one say that we have to think like this. In our neighborhoods, in our relationships, we're constantly being told how to think, Right? We would do well to try to apprehend the wisdom of God. Why? Because he still knows full well how it is that our brains are supposed to be working. Paul himself in Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says that we can, as we allow our lives to be a living sacrifice to God Almighty, he can actually transform our minds. In other words, bring them into line with the way he wants us to think about Life, and not just life, but especially about his son. And so we would do well to go ahead and lean into wisdom. The book of Proverbs, a book all about wisdom. Even as I was writing this down the other day, I was like, really, you're going to go to Proverbs? It seems kind of obvious. And then I was like, yeah, because it should be obvious, right? Book of Proverbs, chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. When we walk in his wisdom, that is, we take the time to submit our minds to his mind, right? Trade our way of thinking for his way, right? When we do that, he becomes our protective shield, the protector of our paths, and he watches over us as we go along the way. I mean, how great are the promises of God that even in the midst of great confusion, he's still willing to offer these things. Verse 25, continuing on, and if you're keeping track, we're getting there. Some of the people of Jerusalem, therefore, said, is this not the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and in him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him and they said, when the Christ appears, Will he do more signs than this man has done? So there's some confusion about God's signs and wonders. 
See, the people are like, wait, this is the guy. He's doing things that Isaiah said that the Messiah would do. He's saying things that the prophets proclaimed that he would say. But then, you know, it's all really confusing because why aren't they arresting him? Because they, the, our, our leaders have already rejected him. Why don't they just arrest him? And then they get confused and think, well, maybe they're not arresting him because they really know that it's him. And then they start thinking to themselves, have you ever thought yourself into more confusion than when you started? How many are experiencing that right now? Yeah, just trust the Lord. It'll work out. <coughs> it's an illustration, just so you know. We planned it this way. So they start thinking, and they're like, well, no, 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 no. This can't be the one because we know where he comes from. And their tradition said that when the Messiah came, they wouldn't know where he comes from, even though the scriptures declared where he would be born. Does that make sense? See, it's a really important thing. A lot of times, the reason why we get confused about his signs and his wonders is because we have put in our, put, put in, we have placed ourselves in a more authoritative position than even God's word. And we're like, well, God's word says this. Yeah, but I feel like this. And this is what they were saying. Wait, 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 wait. His word predicted where he would come from and what he would be like. And they're like, no, 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 no. I think that we know that we're not going to know that. And so they're in this authoritative way saying, no, 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 it can't be this. And Jesus is like, listen, the reason why you don't know where I'm coming from is you don't know the one who sent me. The one who sent me, he knows what he's doing, and I know what he's doing if you know what I know, that he knows what he's doing. So you need to get it right. It's, the problem is not me or the one who sent me because I know where I'm coming from and what I have done and what he's got me doing. The problem is you. You don't know the one who sent me because you don't understand what it is that he's doing. Did I just describe everybody's Christianity? Right? I mean, part of the reason that it's so good to go through these texts is we recognize, man, it's so hard sometimes. Right? But all we have to do is hold on to the Lord. They were confused about his signs and wonders. But I will tell you this, his wonders are worth our wondering. I just thought that was a cool way to say it. His wonders are worth our wondering. His wonders are worth, like, when we read about all that he's done... It's worth us going, wow, what could that mean? Or it's worth us going, I wonder if anybody else has done that. Did you see I use the word wonder again? When we think about all of those things, it's worth taking the time to wonder what it all means and what it's all about because God still knows perfectly how he can help in any one of our circumstances. See, that's the thing about his wonders, aren't they? Isn't it? When we see God do these amazing things, we're supposed to be reminded there's no circumstance, there's no situation that he's impotent to do something about. There's nothing that he can't handle, and he can help in one way or another. Ephesians chapter 1, one of my favorite passages, such an amazing part of Scripture. Chapter 1, verse 16 says this, Paul Writing to the believers in Ephesus, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So Paul, just so you know, and I did this on purpose, he's praying that we would really get what the whole sermon's all about. That in the midst of our confusion, that God would give us wisdom. He continues on. He goes, I'm praying that you have the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So Paul's still praying, like, this is the sermon. Like, Jesus is the key to our understanding. He's the key to our hope. And Paul's saying, I'm praying for believers everywhere all through time that they would get it. 
And that they would understand not only what God wants and what God's doing, but they would understand that no matter what the circumstances look like, there's hope. Why? Because we're still breathing, and if we're still breathing, then God can still work. And I know some of us face impossible-looking circumstances, yes? Or we have faced impossible look. Listen, if you're here and you have in the past experienced that brick wall of impossible circumstances, and yet you're here with the testimony of how God has been faithful and he has given you hope all the way through that, I'm telling you right now, there may be people in the room who need to hear your story. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe we should have story time at church. Well, we are right now. But maybe instead of the church organizing everything, maybe we could just figure out a way to get each other's phone numbers and listen to the Holy Spirit, give somebody a call and say, hey, look like you were having a hard day. And what's the worst they're going to do? The worst they're going to do is go, I wasn't, click. That's no skin off your back. It's not a big deal. The best they could do is go, you know what? How did you know? And you're going to be like, well, I was sitting in church and I was looking at you. And they're like, at this point, weirded out, but they're having a bad day. And they want to know what's going on. And then you can, like, look at what God can do. Yes? But Paul goes on to pray, not only that they would have hope, but he goes on and he says, I'm praying that you understand the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That this isn't it. That God's given us a home beyond all homes where everything makes sense again. All the confusion is gone. He says, I want you to keep that in mind. Then ultimately, this is the great thing. And ultimately, I'm praying, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 through 20, I'm praying that the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Paul's saying, look, I'm also praying that God's power is evident in your life. And what is that power? What, is the one, what are his wonders like? Well, he says, it's a measurable power. And it's like the power that he exercised when he raised Christ from the dead. So it's immeasurable and unlimited. Like in the face of circumstances and struggles, there's nothing that his power can't overwhelm and overcome. We just have to trust him and work through that. Now, sometimes, again, I I want that power to just kind of blow away my enemies, blow away my hard times, blow away the tough struggles. But a lot of times, God's power is going to manifest itself in our lives Not to blow those things away, but to get us through them that we might actually grow and become stronger, even according to his word. And in that sense, his power can do what we wouldn't even be able to do on our own. So it's important, even when we're confused about his wonders and signs, it's important to remember who he is. Because when we walk trusting the prayer of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, his promises to be powerfully present even in our lives are going to help us get through any and every tough time. Finally, you thought I'd never say it. Finally, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering, there's the word again, verse 32, muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. So Jesus then said, well, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. See, they were ultimately absolutely overwhelmed and confused about God's purposes for Jesus. 
His priorities were beyond their perspectives. They're just thinking on an earthly level. And they're like, we're going to get you. And he's like, no, you don't even have a chance. They're like, why do you not? Why, why don't I have a chance? Because I'm where I'm going, you can't go. And you don't even know it. Just so you know, he was calling out their unbelief. Because we know that he was going to go to come back to Jerusalem about a year and a half. He would give his life as a ransom for many. He would be buried. He would be rose again on the third day, and then he would ascend to the right hand of the Father. That's where the unbelieving person cannot go and knows no way how to get there. Thankfully, though, as we continue through the story of Jesus, he will proclaim that he is the way, the truth, and the life, reminding us that if we keep our eyes and our hearts on him, we'll get where he wants us to go. His priorities are beyond our perspectives, but he still knows perfectly well what he has always been doing. And it's worth reminding us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The ultimate purpose statement for the Savior is John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And when we walk according to his purposes, he promises that we will know where he is and we will ultimately be with him forever. Because that's the clarifying offer that Jesus presents in the midst of any confusion. There's clarity in trusting him. Why don't you stand with me just for a moment? I know that might surprise you. As the musicians come back up, let me just close this way. Maybe some of their confusions then are still our confusions now. Like maybe you're here and you're still confused about who Jesus is, what he was doing, what the timing was it all about, and why did all of this go down. Just remember that God knows what he's doing even when we don't. Which, by the way, is the key to finding clarity in the midst of confusion. It's having the faith that says, even if I don't understand, I know that he knows. And because he knows, I can trust him. So for all of us, because I think confusing times are not going away. In fact, if you want my own personal opinion, which I try to be careful about, but if you want my own personal opinion, I think we have times on the horizon that are just going to be more confusing. I think they're going to be more confusing politically. I think they're going to be more confusing socially. (coughs) Sorry, just the sniffles. I think it's going to be more confusing relationally. I think it's going to be more confusing on every level. I think people are going to be more confused than ever before. And the key to the confusion, especially for us who believe, is to remember that no matter what is going on down here, he knows full well what he's doing everywhere. Let me say that again. No matter what is going on down here, he he knows full well what he's doing everywhere. And he invites us to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, to lean not on our own understanding, but to acknowledge him in all of our ways. And then he promises to make our paths straight. He promises to walk us through whatever it is that we're going through. 
See, I, I think this, if there are people in the room or even online that are confused, God wants to invite you to look to him for clarity. If you've been confused about who you are, where you're going, who he is and what he's doing, by faith, he invites you to just believe that you are dearly loved by him more than anybody in the world has ever loved you. And he longs to have a relationship with you so much so that he provided his son as a perfect sacrifice for your sins and mine. And that by faith in saying, Lord, I accept you as my savior, he promises to rescue you from the confusion of darkness, the confusion of sin and struggle and strife, the confusion of all those circumstances. He promises to be there to help you through for here and forever more. Maybe you're here and you've already made that decision. Then today, God would invite you, even in the midst of the ongoing confusions that we face in life. He just invites you to remember that he knows what he's doing. So we can look to him. We can listen to him. We can keep trusting him. And we can do so because he's the only one that was willing to sacrifice his only son. He's earned it. He's earned it. Larry mentioned earlier that we'll have a time for communion. During this next song that Emma leads us in, I just want to invite you to take those communion elements and remember not only what Jesus has done, that he's taken our place on the cross and that he shed his blood for our forgiveness, but do so in such a way that is a reminder that even when everybody else was confused about it, God knew what he was doing. And because God knew what he was doing then, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, he knows what he's doing now. And if he knew what he was doing then, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he knows what he's doing now, guess what? Communion serves as a reminder that we can trust him. Now, if you're here and you're overwhelmed with confusion and struggle and feeling waylaid and lost, you just want somebody to talk to or somebody to pray with, I'm going to tell you, man, there's people here that are willing to do that. If you're online, just send those prayer requests in right now. You can get in the comments. I can't believe I just said that. Get in the comments and let us know. Or just say, reach out. Hey, I could really you, And we'll, we'll reach back out to you. If you're in the room and you want somebody to pray with you, I'll be up front. There's some other elders around in the room. You can also just look at somebody next to you and go, hey, you a praying kind? And that person's going to look at you and go, you bet I am. And then you're going to go, well, I need some prayer. And that person's going to go, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know we're supposed to be sacred. And I know these moments are supposed to be special. But they're also human. And God wants to use us just how we are for, with, and among each other. Yes and Amen. Maybe you're here and there's somebody around you. You just have, you, you haven't been able to get your eyes off of them or mind away from them the whole time. They're like, man, something's going on there. I hope they're okay. I don't know if about you, but I remember the very first time I ever went to church here. I sat in the back way back there and I cried the entire time. And somebody came up to me afterwards and said, I noticed that you were crying. I said, yeah, it was pretty, un you couldn't miss it. <laughs> Are you okay? And I said, no. Can I do anything? And I said, no. Can I pray for you? And I said, you bet you can. 
they just pray. They also asked, can I touch you? And I was like, no. Actually, I said yes. So if, if you're here, man, and you've just sensed, like this person across the room or that, just go reach out to them and say, listen, I think the Lord wants me to pray for you and encourage you. It's about time we get over ourselves and get on with what God wants to do. Amen. So Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that no matter what confusion we may face, you are our clarity. I pray that, that you would bring that to people even today. I pray that as we remember you in communion at any point during this next song, I pray that you would meet us there and encourage us there. Lord, help us to be a people as a result of today who keep looking to you, keep listening to you, and keep trusting you. You've earned it, Lord, and so we'll give you our full attention. Let's sing together. Thank you for listening. For more information about Rogue Valley Christian Church, please visit our website at www.rvchristian.com.